0: Good evening. Merry Christmas. Good to see you. I hope this is the first time that you've been here today. Because if this is the second time you've been here today, then you accidentally came to church this morning when nobody else was here. So I'm hoping this is your first time uh, at our church today. Uh, My name is Matt Owen. I'm the lead pastor here at our church. And if you are our guest today, uh, that We are so glad you're here. Maybe you're visiting uh, friends. Maybe you're visiting family. Maybe you thought, I'd like to go to a Christmas Eve service and there's a church there. I might as well go to that one. Whatever it was that brought you here, we just want you to know that we are glad that you're here today, and I'd love to meet you uh, after the service if you have time and if you want to. You may not want to, and that's okay, too. If you've got a Bible with you, go with me to John chapter 3. John chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles that are in the chair racks there in front of you, and we always have people with us each service that we have who are unfamiliar with the Bible, and we want you to know that's okay. You've got to start somewhere, so if you grab one of those Bibles and you don't know where to find John chapter 3, that's going to be on page 888 of the Bibles that are there in front of you in the chair racks. You probably already started doing this. Some of some of you have already started opening presents uh, earlier today. Some of you are going to be opening presents maybe uh, with some group of people tonight. Others are going to be doing it tomorrow. There's going to be all kinds of different things happening for many of us at a variety of different houses. And as you do all of these Christmas festivities, you're probably going to be posting, some of you are going to be posting some of these photos to various social media accounts. And as you do that, you're going to get a few likes, a few comments here and there, but you're probably not going to get 6,000 people to, li- to like the picture of you in your family in your Christmas jammies tomorrow morning. And that is because most of us, our number of followers is, is far less the number of people that we are following. If you're on social media, to you were to pull out your account, I know there's probably a few exceptions, and you can tell me this after the service, but most of us are following more people than are following us, because most people don't care very much about what we have to say. But for some people, building a social media following is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time to build a following. There are whole businesses that are dedicated to helping you grow your following, finding ways for you to increase your follower count. And there's all kinds of things that, there's all kinds of advantages that supposedly come with having a larger social media following. One, if if you've got a following, you have a platform. And if you have a platform, that, that, that means that there are people who want to read what you say. There are people who want to see what you do. If you have a social media platform of some kind, then that often means that you have some measure of influence, and of course that can be incredibly validating to to think that there are people out there who care about what I have to say. Imagine working really hard to build a following checking every week every day to see that follower count start to tick upward and upward and upward and upward and then something happens where they slip through your fingers the count starts to drop or you say something that that makes people angry or you post something that makes people angry and all of a sudden They're no longer following you anymore. They're following somebody else. Or or somebody gets tired of seeing the pictures that you post or the quotes that you give or the things that you have to say, and they start following someone else who has better pictures or better quotes. This is John the Baptist's problem. One day, John's social media managers came to him, and they said, John, we have a Significant problem here. There is a predicament that you need to know about. You are losing your followers. Look with me at John chapter 3 if you're there. Verse 26. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and all are going to him. It's kind of a double whammy. Not only is John's follower count dropping, now, as not only are people starting to follow Jesus, the one across the Jordan, but they, they come to him a little bit indignant and in saying, not only are they following him, but he's doing your thing. Baptizing people, that was your thing, John, and now he's doing it. How's John going to respond to this? Well, we see his answer in verse 27. John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. But I must decrease. John basically tells the social media managers that this is what was supposed to happen. This was... The plan the whole time. John compares himself basically to a best man at a wedding. And he says the best man has an important role at a wedding, but the best man has to know his role. The people are not there. No one goes to a wedding to see the best man. They're going to the wedding to see the bride and the groom. And, and John is basically saying that he was glad to hear the groom's voice because that meant that the groom had come for his bride. John understood the assignment. He understood that the, the assignment was complete. He understood it was time for him to decrease, for Jesus to increase. But I want you to notice something about the way John talks about the ending of his assignment because John doesn't just say, My assignment is complete. John doesn't just say, I have completed the task that, that God gave me to do. He says something that seems kind of unusual given the circumstances that everyone that he had gotten used to being around him was now flocking to Jesus. As John starts to recede into the background, he doesn't say the assignment is complete. He says, my joy is complete. Now, if you're here with us for the first time, and and several of you are either here with us for the first time or you're here with us for the first time this month, then it may seem a little weird to you that we have been retracing, or we have been uh, talking about John the Baptist, this evening. But what we have been doing as a church is retracing the steps of John the Baptist at Jesus's first advent, his first coming. Each Sunday in December, we have been retracing John's footsteps because we have wanted to see what John did to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus, not just his birth, but his ministry as a whole. And in seeing how John prepared the people for the ministry of the Messiah at his first coming, we want to see how John, through the centuries, prepares us for the second. Because as we have been talking about and singing and praying about this evening, there are two advents. There are two comings. Jesus has come and Jesus is coming again. John made it very clear he was not the true light who was coming into the world. That was the Messiah, Jesus, whose birth we celebrate at this time of year. John was not the true light, but John chapter 5 does call John a lamp. There's a sense in which John was a lantern shining his light ahead, preparing the way for the Messiah. And so we have been looking through the gospel the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to see where John shines his light and to see what John is calling us to do in the centuries later. And so far this month, we have seen that John shines his light on our need to believe. John shines a light on our need to repent. John, we saw last week, shines a light on our need to behold. And now... This evening, I want us to see that John shines a light on our need to rejoice. How could John say, my joy is complete? Because he's the one quoting from the Old Testament and talking about the fact that there's a people who are dwelling in darkness, who are seeing a great light, and so we see this picture of the world prior to the coming of Christ in which the world very much does dwell in a spiritual and moral darkness. It is a dark place. It's a place where prophets lose their heads. But you probably didn't expect to hear about at our Christmas Eve service. But I want you to know that while we may be a little crazy in thinking about that, one of the things that John helps us to do is overcome the sentimentality, the sentimentalism of the season because all of us are walking out from the world into this room in which we are gathered recognizing that the world is still very much in darkness. And it does us no good to pretend otherwise. You cannot turn the Christmas lights bright enough to dispel the darkness of the world that we live in. The 24-hour news cycle spits out horror after horror and tragedy after tragedy. This is the world that celebrates Advent. So I ask the question again, how could John's joy be complete? How does John lose his influence, his following, eventually speaks truth to power and is imprisoned for it, eventually loses his life, he's looking around even at the world, once Jesus has been born and grown up and seeing that it's still a dark place. How could John shine a light on our need to rejoice? How could we say, my joy is complete with him? Well, there are a couple of clues then in some of the things that he goes on to say in John chapter 3. If you're there with me in John chapter 3, now look at verse 33. The Bible says, whoever receives his, that's Jesus' testimony, sets his seal to this, that God is True. There are a lot of things that we could say about these words of John that we've just read together, but I just want to highlight two reasons why John shines a light on our need to rejoice even in the midst of the darkness. First, we can rejoice because this story is true. this story is true. John said, whoever receives Jesus' testimony sets his seal to this, or affirms that this is true, or certifies that God is true. We love stories. We love stories about kingdoms. We love stories about kings and queens. We love stories about epic battles and and creatures that we've never seen or heard of before and, and and stories in which these creatures speak different languages and stories where there are feasts and where there is magic and where there is a hero who comes and saves the day. And we read stories like that and we watch movies about those things And isn't there something wistful in you? Isn't there something longing in that gets pulled out of you when you read stories like that? Because we know that those things are just stories. We know that there's not always happy endings. We love stories, whereas Wordsworth put it, where wrong shall fail and right prevail. I think we read those stories longingly because we wish they were true. There's something built into us that responds to that. Yet we can rejoice when we read this story because if God is true, then that means every single word of this story is true. That's why there is so much reason for joy in the birth announcement of Jesus to the shepherds. I'll just read these verses to you, but they're probably very familiar from Luke 2. In the angel's birth announcement to the shepherds, the Bible says this, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. There's something interesting going on here in this announcement because there is something that's happening in the physical world that parallels the spiritual world. This is a birth announcement of joy that occurs in the middle of the night. So it's literally dark. And there is this spotlight of light that comes with this angelic choir to make this birth and announcement. And it's almost like physical reality is giving us a picture of the spiritual reality because there is a spiritual darkness in the world that a spiritual light has come and will o- to and will overcome. And the shepherds don't just have to take the angels' words for it, do they? What is the first thing they do? They go to Bethlehem to see that it's true. Every word of this story is true. And that's why John could say something like, my joy is complete. As he loses his followers, he loses his life, And he looks at a world that is still largely unchanged. John knew that he wasn't at the end of the story. And our joy can be complete recognizing the same is true for us. We are not at the end of the story yet. But every single word is true there's a second reason i want to highlight to you that john shines a light on our need to rejoice in spite of the darkness and it's this we can rejoice because we have eternal life we can rejoice because we have eternal life look back at verse 36 if you're there Because one of the phrases that is there is, that John says in verse 36 is this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son is going to live forever. That's good news, isn't it? Because we live in a world that's dark, and we live in a world where death is everywhere we're reminded of it every day it's something that every one of us is having to face to one degree or another some of us here are nearing the end of our lives and so it's something that we think about more and more Some of us here in this room are fighting illnesses that are going to take our lives. Some of us are here remembering the people that have already been taken from us that we will not be sharing this time with. And even if none of those particular situations touch you personally, each one of us are experiencing the touch of death In a world that's dark. But the assurance of eternal life is what made it possible for John to so quickly part with his head. And the assurance of eternal life is something that continues to strengthen us as we face our own weaknesses, as we face our own difficulties and challenges and fears and anxieties, followers of Jesus, you are going to live forever. And it is going to be good. You have so much joy. Ahead of you. Do not lose heart. You weep. You grieve. You face the difficulties of this world as you wake up each day. But you just remember there is so much joy ahead of you. and Because there is so much joy ahead of you, there can be a measure of joy that the world can't touch now. The flip side of this is important. And it would be irresponsible of me if I did not also mention the other side of the coin. As John says uh, in, in verse uh, at near the end of the passage that we read together. He says, um, in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's some very interesting synonyms here, aren't there? He says whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and then he says whoever does not, and we would expect him to use the word believe, the Son shall not see life, but he doesn't use the word believe the second time. He uses the word obey, and he uses those terms as synonyms, which means that, that to believe Jesus is to obey Jesus, and We've said this and we've seen this in the ministry of John the Baptist. When when John came announcing the kingdom of God that was at hand, when, when, when Jesus announced that the kingdom of God is here, repent and believe the gospel, the verse doesn't go on to say, if you want. Because Jesus is one of these polarizing figures. He does not just want to be around. He demands faith from us. He says, you are going to have to make a decision about who I am. You either believe or you disobey the truth. And so friends, what you are hearing tonight, if you do not know Christ, is an invitation to not only believe but obey the gospel to believe that this baby whose birth we celebrate this night grew up, lived a life of perfection, and then offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross and rose in triumph over death so that all who call upon the name of the Lord in faith shall be saved. There is wrath for those who do not believe the good news of Jesus. But there is so much life to those who come to him in faith. We're almost done. But if you listen, and that's what we've been trying to do, we've been trying to listen to the voice of John as it echoes down through the ages to us to hear what we might what we might learn from him again. If you listen, you can still hear John's voice echoing in the wilderness. The Bible describes our experience of following Jesus in some ways as an experience in the wilderness. Hear John's voice saying, He must increase but I must decrease. Those of us who have been redeemed by Christ exist to make much of Jesus. Do you understand the assignment? It's not about us. It's about Him. And even though we haven't reached the end of the story yet, and even though you may be facing some very difficult circumstances in your life, we know how the story ends. And so we can say something that seems crazy to some. My joy is complete. There's another John in the Bible, Jesus' disciple. And John, Jesus' disciple, has a vision of the future that's found at the end of our Bibles. And it's this the imagery of a wedding. It goes like this in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 and 7. Okay, this is John Jesus' disciple reporting this vision, and he says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory for the marriage of the Lamb, the Lamb that John asked us to behold. The marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. I think John, in his best man role, would have loved that verse because he rejoiced to see the groom come. So let us rejoice. Let us give God the glory. The light has come. And the light is coming again. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the light that John the Baptist has shown down the darkness of the pathway as people who still live in the wilderness in some sense. We long for the full experience of your kingdom. So Lord, we pray that you would help us as we have considered the ministry of John this season to recalibrate our focus. I look forward to the second advent: to rejoice, because we know how the story ends. If there are people here with us, Lord, who do not know you as Savior, may they put their faith in the work in the person of Jesus. Flood their hearts with the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ.